So today's concentration will be on sexualization, identity and culture. And we've got a speaker today, Emma from my church in Brixton Beacon. She, she runs um, a, a charity called Orchards and they work with women who are in sexual exploitation. And yeah, today she's just gonna speak on that and tell you a lot about what she does. Good morning. So I'm from Beacon Church in Brixton, South London, where I'm really involved in pastoral care. And I also, as Elwyn just said, um, co-lead a charity called Orchards. So we do work with women who've experienced sexual exploitation. So that might be through prostitution, that might be through trafficking for sexual purposes or trafficking for another reason where there's also been sexual abuse. And at Orchards, we provide safe housing, um, counselling and, and wraparound support. And we set up our first safe property in spring of this year. So we are learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But before we get um, started, just a couple of things from the media recently. I don't know if, if these are stories you're familiar with. Um, they, may, they may well be. We're trying to run by you. Did you guys catch the story of Bella Thorne and Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah? Okay. So some of you, yes. Some of you, not so sure. So, um, just a bit of a recap, um, Bella Thorne, um, actress Bella Thorne, was being blackmailed about having naked pictures of her being posted online. And we often hear about that, don't we? Um, revenge porn or maybe similarly upskirting. And the, the fear of shame of having those pictures online sometimes results in suicide. Um, Bella Thorne didn't respond that way. She responded by um, choosing to post the photos herself online. So maybe you could see that as an act of defiance, um, saying you're not going to have that control over me. So she, she posted them online as her choice. And she was then heavily criticised by actress Whoopi Goldberg um, for posting the pictures online. And then this sparked, as, as these things often do, a massive row on social media. Now, I'm not justifying one side of that or the other at all. But what it does highlight is brokenness in this area playing out in different ways. So... Um, and we can see this often in our culture, that we're told from a very young age that particularly girls, their value is in their sexuality, their value is in their sexiness, and that that looks a particular way. But then if they start behaving in any way, in line with that identity, then others in, that bro in their brokenness begin labelling. Yeah, and we know what those labels are. You know, but I don't need to list them. We know what those labels are. And those labels stick. And those labels reinforce the message that actually you are worth nothing more. That is where your value is. That is who you are. And it's a lie. And, you know, there's different responses. Brokenness can play out in lots of different ways in this area. Maybe there's the, the bell of thorn. I'm going to choose to take back control to, to, to kind of rebel against that. But then there's no real empowerment, you know, in that choice. There's no real empowerment there even if it's dressed up as that. And some others might choose to respond to that by hating men or covering up their femininity. Brokenness in this area plays out in a myriad of ways. Another quick media example before we get really stuck in. Do you catch the Warwick lads chat? Yeah, you heard about that? 
You're from Warwick. Okay, so you know. I'll talk to you at the end. So um, for those who aren't familiar, there were some students um, at Warwick University, girls at Warwick University, and they discovered that the boys in their friendship group had a, a lads chat for 18 months. And in their lads chat, they discussed and they described violently raping these girls. And when, when the girls found out... Initially, they didn't want to do anything because, um, you know, it was their friendship group, it was their friends, but they were increasingly fearful, increasingly anxious. And so they mentioned it to the university. And initially, not much was done about it, but there was a big pushback on social media and on the national media, on the BBC. And so it was dealt with. And, you know, we could say, well, actually, what is the big deal? The girls weren't actually hurt. Yeah? We could say that. But the reality was they experienced quite a lot of trauma from this, from reading that. Yeah? And then from a faith perspective, we know, don't we, that our thought life matters. And our words, our words have power. Yeah? Our words have power. So we can't just write this off as a bit of banter. And these issues, they're not new, actually. They're not new. They're just playing out a little bit differently in social media. Because if you've internalized an identity that, you know, my value is in how sexy I am, then you can project that on your profile. Or if you're being body shamed, then rather than that being some words that someone says to you, that can be um, instantly shared with the world. Yeah, on, on. And then also, we can bring challenge to some of these things on, on social media as well. So it's just playing out differently, but the issues aren't, aren't new. So that's what we're, some of what we're talking about today is um, sexualization and culture and identity. And um, how do we, how do we walk with God through it? Because it's so, so messy. How do we get to a place where we're not conforming and just going along with a sex-saturated culture, but actually we are being transformed um, in line with what he says about us and what he says about um, how we're to view each other. So what would it look like if his kingdom came in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, and then ultimately in our culture in this area. Um, Also, just to say, guys, if you are beginning to panic that this is going to be a giant attack on men and you're sort of looking for the nearest exit and wondering at what point you can leave, relax. (laughs) It's not where we're going to land at all. So there might be some of you here who didn't realize we were going to talk about some of these things, but you are here. And I'm so, so thankful that you are Because, you know, we have a sovereign God, and I believe that if you are here, that there is a purpose in that, that he has a purpose for you, that there is more freedom, more joy in this area. I'm so glad you're here. And there are some uh, others of you who I know did know I was going to talk about some of these things, and you're still here. And I'm so thankful for you, too. Because um, some of the issues with this can be that we don't engage because it feels uncomfortable and we don't want to go there. Yeah? But if we don't do that, then we can't go to a place of deeper freedom. And actually, guys in particular, you have a real role to play in, 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 in creating a, a culture of freedom in this area. So I'm glad you're here. 
So before we start, I'm just going to look at a passage in Matthew 13, um, 31 to 33. Um, you will be really, really familiar with it if you've been at you know, Sunday school or anything like that. So these are the words of Jesus. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And that is something I love about God's kingdom. It starts small. You know, if I was holding a mustard seed, it would be completely insignificant in this room, have zero impact. You would not be impressed by it. But it grows like, and and God's kingdom like yeast, it expands. I believe that there is transformation in this area. And so as we talk about these things, I want us to hold on to that because it's so easy to, to be overwhelmed by these issues or just say, it's the way it's always been. It's just like that. That's just the way it is. But I believe that when we surrender our hearts and our minds to God in this area, that there is um, potential for healing, there's potential for transformation, and there's potential for more joy and more freedom in our relationships. Okay? So with that in mind, I just want to pray, and then we're going to explore these issues a bit more. I'm going to tell some stories. And then we're going to look at um, a few areas of, okay, so what does it look like for us to start walking in freedom in this area? Is that cool? Okay. Oh, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. I thank you for every, every person you brought in here today. I thank you that you have a purpose for them. Thank you that you are the God who sees them. And I thank you that there is power in your name, that there is power in your kingdom. And I pray this morning that your kingdom would come and we would be so overwhelmed by your kingdom coming in our hearts, coming in our churches, coming in our communities, that that would be the thing that transforms, that your kingdom would come and it would expand and it would grow and it would bring healing and change cultures in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So, hashtag me too. You guys all familiar with that? Yeah? So, just a a bit of recap on that. So, a couple of years ago, some allegations um, of sexual harassment, sexual assault came out about a well-known director. And more and more celebrities started coming forward saying, yeah, me too. That happened to me. And then someone posted the hashtag, um, if you have experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault, reply me too to this. So the phrase me too was tweeted around midday, October 15th, 2017. It had been used more than 200,000 times by the end of that day. It had been tweeted more than 500,000 times by the end of the next day. On Facebook, the hashtag was used by more than 4.7 million people. 
in 12 million posts just during the first 24 hours. Okay, And then it spread worldwide. And so there were similar movements going out through Spain, Latin America. It had a ripple effect. And, you know, it was controversial. And there was a mixture of emotions it provoked. For some, there was relief or sadness. But relief saying, oh, we're finally acknowledging this. We're finally seeing that there's a problem. And saying, it is not okay. But it also provoked anger. It was really criticized, um, heavily criticized for people saying in particular that men were being found guilty before anything was even proven and that the whole thing made men into villains. And, and you know, there's probably very valid points on, on either side. But something it did do was act like a cultural magnifying glass. Yeah, it act, it sh- uh, the volume of girls and, and women in particular coming forward saying, yeah, me too, that happened to me. I've experienced sexual harassment. I've experienced sexual assault. Just could not be ignored. And of course, there were many, many more, um, there would have been many more who had had those experiences but didn't want to post them on social media for whatever reason. And, you know, actually, I'd probably be in that category. Um, To some extent, I could have added my voice to the, yeah, me too, cries. But I didn't. And partly that's because I had three kids really close together, so I just don't have loads of time to spend hours on social media. Partly because, if I'm really honest, I didn't want to be seen to be attention-seeking. And that is kind of a symptom of the problem. But also because God's done such an amazing work of healing in my heart in this area that it just wasn't on my mind. It's just not my story anymore. And it hadn't been my story for years before um, um, Me Too went viral. But I am going to share some Me Too stories this morning. Why? Because, as we said, the the movement highlighted something. You know, much like if you're not well, maybe you go to the doctors, you get a blood test, it shows you there's something wrong. But it didn't show us um, how to treat it. It didn't show us how to navigate that with God. And so that's what I want us to to look at. Yeah, that's what I'm going to look at. So I am going to share some stories. And I'm acutely aware that there are far more extreme Me Too stories than my own. Yeah, the the women that are referred to us as orchards at orchards. Some of the incredibly brave women I've had the privilege of praying with pastorally. And actually potentially some in this room. But those aren't my stories to tell. So I'm going to tell some of my own, and then we're all going to explore together. So what would it look like for there to be transformation in healing in this area? Is that cool? So I became Christian when I was about 20. I am now 36. And I was an atheist. And before that, faith, God, just really wasn't on my, on my radar at all. My first proper, proper, I don't know, hashtag me too-esque story, I would have been maybe 13, but I probably looked a lot, lot younger than that. And I was out shopping with a friend of mine, um, and a grown man came up to me and my friend, and he said to me, I bet you haven't been broken in yet. I'll break you in. 
I was quite scared. Um, I was quite disgusted, but I knew exactly what he meant. I went to an all-girls school and I was um, bullied through secondary school, so I left there thinking that there was something fundamentally wrong with me. And then at sixth form, I went from an all-girls school to an all-boys school. So overnight, I went from being the least popular person I knew to one of the most popular people I knew based on ratio because they let just a handful of girls in. So I was surrounded by guys whose views of women had been shaped up till that point by porn. And I was exposed to quite a lot of porn when I was at secondary school. And, you know, this was a Stone Age pre-iPhones, so it was all DVDs and magazines and that sort of stuff. And I, I wasn't into it myself, but what it did do was start to shape um, my view of what it meant to be a woman. And also it started to shape my view of what it meant to be attractive. And the guys I was, having, I was hanging around with, they were constantly rating girls in terms of their body parts. And I knew exactly where I was on each one of these body part lists. And I got to the point where I could probably check out a girl quicker than most of the guys I was hanging around with, not because I was attractive, but just because I was comparing myself part by part because my values were becoming um, so messed up. Yeah. And... um, Yeah, and I remember once, after two years of that, someone put me down as best personality and I was offended because (laughs) my value system had just got so skewed by that point. And almost everything anyone said to me was a sexual innuendo. And to begin with, I was a bit shocked. By the end of it, I could probably reel it off because I was so kind of indoctrinated by it. And I had relationships at sixth form and there was stuff that happened that I didn't want to do. And I remember one occasion where a guy told me that my boyfriend had cheated on me and I was really upset. And while I was upset, he forced himself on me. I didn't fight. I just kind of went numb because it was easier to just sort of zone out. And then I stayed numb for a while. My first year at uni, um, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't care what happened to me. I had an eating disorder that went out of control completely. Um, And I used to do really crazy stuff, like um, go running in the middle of the night off my face. Just really didn't care what happened. And then after a series of events of God pursuing me, really, because I wasn't looking for him, um, I asked Jesus into my life and I became filled with the most amazing love I had ever experienced. And I started the process of changing gradually. But with regards to Me Too type stuff, nothing externally really changed. So like a lot of girls, a lot of women from my early teens to mid-twenties probably, I was constantly being beeped at, maybe just being instructed to smile, or maybe having people make comments about my body or the things they wanted to do. Um, I was followed home quite a bit. I have no idea how many times during that period I was groped by random people in swimming pools on public transport just out and about. Um, On on several occasions I've had men masturbate in front of me on public transport or following me home once while I was um, in front of my house outside uni and then once really scarily when someone was driving me somewhere. Um, 
And then on a couple of occasions, I've had situations with people who I thought were friends switch. um, And I had to fight myself away because they didn't stop when I said no. So I'll I'll stop there. I think you get the idea. (laughs) When I was around 24 as a Christian, um, I stopped feeling numb in that area. It was almost that that area kind of stopped feeling numb and all of the feelings started coming up. So I would be having coffee with a friend of mine and all I could see with a guy on top was a guy on top of me and me wanting, and I wanted to scream, get off. Um, and, or I'd be on public transport and seeing guys looking at porn and I wanted to punch them, but I didn't because I'm five foot three. <laughs> And, um, and I was saying, God, why is this coming up now? Why is this coming up now? And I heard him say, say to me, because I want to heal you. And so I met with, um, I was at a different church at the time. I met with a couple of women from that church um, regularly for a while. And they prayed with me. And I encountered God's father heart for me. I heard him say that to him... I was worth what he went through to get me back. And I, um, I encountered him as the God who sees me, who knows me, um, and who loves me completely. And I chose to um, forgive the guys that had hurt me, not because it meant it was okay, because it wasn't okay, but because um, he asked us to, to forgive And also, in doing so, that was the gateway to him being able to heal me. And he healed my memories. I stopped having flashbacks. He healed my feelings of shame about who I was. Um, And then one day, I heard him say to me, and that's my sons that you're hating. Ouch. (laughs) Because up till that point, um, my experience of guys had not been great. But I'd begin, I'd began to develop a lot of all men are negative thought patterns. And that wasn't how God saw his sons. So I had to repent of that. I had to say sorry to God. And I began the process of renewing my mind and meditating on truth that men are God's sons and they are made in his image. And it was hard because the same stuff still kept happening. (laughs) Um, But I would, and I would find myself on public transport, um, sort of seeing women and starting to compare myself to them again, part by part, because I'd almost been trained to do that. And then I would say no, in my head. (laughs) Women are God's daughters, and they are made in his image. And because God made me, I'm infinitely special and valuable, and so is she. And so I bless her. Or maybe someone, a guy would make a comment to me when I was walking down the street and I start to feel angry again. And then I would say no, again in my head. Um, men are God's sons and they are made in his image. And I choose to trust you, God, to bring men into my life who treat me with dignity and respect. And you know what? He did. Not immediately, gradually. But he, he used guys in the process of me healing. I remember once um, a guy, a friend of mine, who was not dissimilar age to some of you, 
said to me, um, when are you going to stop seeing yourself as a piece of meat and start seeing yourself as someone worth dying for? And that stuck. And it came back. You know, later I'd remember that. I also remember, um, say about 12 years ago, I started... um, working in the area I'm working in now with women involved in prostitution and I was on a training course and on that day we were looking at the demand side so we were looking at the stats the number of men that pay for sex and there was a guy there also on the course who said that is totally unacceptable and for me hearing a male voice say that was incredibly healing And after a good chunk of time of being single and being healed up, he brought my husband into my life. And do you know what? He did and he does treat me with dignity and respect. And now my church norm, my my kind of life norm, is that I am treated as as a daughter, as a sister. And so even though now I work with women who've experienced quite extreme gender based violence, I couldn't go to the all men are place, even if I tried. Because I know it's not truth, but I also, that's, um, and it's not my experience, it's not my story anymore, it's not my, it's not my norm. And so when I see that, I know that that is brokenness, and that is not God's truth, and it doesn't have to be the reality. Don't you love that about God's kingdom? That when you surrender to him, that there is a potential for transformation, that he can make beauty out of ashes. I love that about God. Um, So we're going to look a bit about uh, um, what it would look like to to walk in freedom in this area. And I know tomorrow in the tough um, questions session. Um, Andrew Wilson's going to be looking, uh, doing a kind of short talk before the panel on the beauty of sex. And you know, sex is God's in, is, was God's intention. Attraction is a good thing. It's a, it's a natural thing. Um, so that's, that's, that's not bad. I don't want to get to a place where kind of, you know, thinking attraction is bad. Um, but um, somehow it's all got twisted and it's all got distorted. So I am going to look at a few points on how to start walking in freedom within the context of our very sexualized culture. Um, But before I do, I just want to acknowledge that I'm aware there may be some people in here um, who may be feeling uncomfortable, that maybe you're realizing that maybe you've been a cause of someone's uh, Me Too or whatever. Um, And I just want to say that there is so much grace... That doesn't have to be your story, that that is what Jesus died for, that his blood is enough to cover that. So when we look at these points, these points are for you. And I'm also really conscious that there may be some here, maybe you've experienced a me, you've had a me too type experience, and maybe those things are coming up. And I just want to encourage you, there'll be some time at the end to, to respond in prayer, um, but there are also... Um, the other points during the week where you can find someone to pray um, because he's the God who sees you and he knows and he loves you and there is freedom and healing available. And there may be also some of us whose brokenness um, comes out in different ways. Maybe we've been so indoctrinated on the idea that our value comes from our sexuality, our sexiness. 
Um, maybe um, we, we're believing that that's where love and acceptance is. Maybe that comes out in flirtiness. Maybe um, we're a guy here who's experienced body shaming or sexual abuse because those are not exclusively female issues. Maybe we're a girl here and we're struggling with lust or we're struggling with porn because those issues aren't exclusively male issues. But wherever we're at, God knows, he already knows, and he already loves you completely. And he sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And so you can come to him because there is such freedom in this area. Okay. So how do we get to a place where there's room for God's kingdom to come in this area to tra- and so it can begin to transform our culture? You know, it starts small, like a mustard seed. It starts in our hearts. It starts in our minds. It starts from a place of, of um, surrendering to God and letting him in. But then, um, like yeast, it spreads, and like, um, um, and like the mustard seed, it grows. So I'm going to need three points, and then we're going to have a bit of um, time to respond. So if, point one, healing from shame. Shame's a heavy word, isn't it? I don't know about you, it kind of... It's like a bit like a lead balloon. It's a heavy word. But we've been singing about it all week, haven't we? Almost every song that I've heard in the big top talks about freedom from shame. And guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, there is something wrong with me. And it sticks at our identity. And if we are struggling with porn, if we're struggling with addiction um, to sex, if we have had experiences that maybe we wish we hadn't, if we've been body shamed, if we've experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault, then shame can stick to us and it can stick to our identity And it can trap us in the addiction. It can trap us in the pain. It can trap us in the memories and stop us moving forward. But that's what Jesus died for. He didn't just take the, um, the um, didn't just on the cross. He didn't just take the things that we've done, but he took the kind of the, the resulting shame. That there is freedom from shame available. That we don't have to stay in that place of shame. That we can surrender to him, and he can come in to not just heal the memories or heal the addiction or the struggle, but actually heal the resulting shame that is shaping our identities. It says in Psalms that no one whose hope is in him will ever be put to shame, yeah? So I want to encourage um, um, you here, maybe if you haven't asked him into your life, to know that part of the exchange at the cross is him taking your shame. And if you are here today and you do know him, I would encourage you to ask him into your heart in this area, because there is healing from that, from shame. That is not yours to carry. You are a child of God. You don't have to let shame define you. Okay, so that was point one, healing from shame. Point two, renewing our minds. Um, it may be that we've got to a place where we're, we're in a kind of all 
men are, all women are, all boys are, all girls are kind of a mindset. Yeah, and we might need to um, renew that. In... um, in Timothy, it says that we are to view all older men as um, fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, um, younger women as sisters in all purity. And then outside of the church context, all men, all of them, are God's sons made in his image. All women, all of them, are God's daughters made in his image. And that includes those in porn. That includes those maybe involved in prostitution. And we need to move away from some of the labels. Maybe we've had labels spoken to us. I'm going to mention a, a couple, just, just bear with me. Hose, slag, easy, player, those kind of things. Maybe we've spoken them over other people. There'll be other ones, you know what they are. <laughs> Yeah, those, those labels, they reinforce the culture, they reinforce the shame. So we might need to think about how are we viewing each other? Yeah, what words are we speaking over each other? Because that la- those labels, they were never meant for us to, um, to carry and we were never meant to put them on other people. Okay, so healing from shame, renewing our minds. Final point. Surrendering to God and walking in the Spirit. So in Galatians, it talks about um, um, walking by the Spirit so we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And you know, navigating this stuff in our own strength is impossible. Have you tried it? It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. But, but we were never meant to. So that's okay because we need Him. We need Him in this, we need God in this. When we surrender to God and we're daily filled with the Holy Spirit, he puts new desires on our hearts, new identities. He's the best counselor. He puts his finger on memories that need to be healed and the ones you're ready to face. He puts his finger on relationships that maybe need to be changed in terms of the boundaries that we have. He puts his finger on places where maybe we've been labelled And he replaces with the label that he puts on us, daughter, son, loved. He's the one who can lead our healing. So there might be things we can can do that, you know, to put in place in this area that is wise. But ultimately, healing and restoration comes from a place of being um, filled with the Holy Spirit. He enables us to forgive people who've hurt us, even though it's really, really hard and we don't want to. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's only as we surrender ourselves fully to him and invite him to come into our relationships and then in our culture that there's potential to, to change. And it starts small. It starts with us surrendering to him. Okay. So I want us all to stand, if that's okay. I think we're going to have some music. Oh, it's gone. We've got any... Oh, you're there. Ah, cool. Elwyn's like the PA whiz at Beacon. So I want us to stand. We're going to have some music in the background. This, um, there might be time for praying with each other or or discussions later, but this isn't a moment for praying with each other. This is just a moment for you and God. Okay.